This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Welcome to Mind Your Business on SiriusXM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm the senior editor of Entrepreneurship at Forbes. If you've listened to this show before, you know we're not going to tell you how to run your business. This show is about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. If you've been struggling with something running your business, any aspect of it, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And let me emphasize... This is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, someone else listening to this show is probably struggling with it, too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. We have a special guest today, Ed Epley, who I met several years ago at a really interesting place called Aileron in Dayton, Ohio. It's a nonprofit. Uh, Aileron's a sort of a support organization for business owners, uh, where I sat in on a two-day session that Ed facilitates. Uh, where he works with a group of owners who come from really all over the country, to some extent all over the world. Um, It's not unlike a 12-step program where uh, each of the owners stands up and says, I'm Lauren Feldman and I'm here because I'm really struggling with uh, some part of my business. So uh, Ed's very accustomed to having the kinds of conversations we like to have here on Mind Your Business. He's also just written a terrific book called Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros. Welcome back to the show, Ed. Great to be with you, Lauren. So, Ed, you have uh, incredible experience speaking with business owners in, in all sorts of different ways, from your uh, you know, your own consulting company to working at Aileron. Um, you have these conversations all the time. You have a really nice way of dealing with business owners. I've seen you in action uh, many times, and I, I'm, I'm curious... You just wrote this book. Uh, what I really liked about it is that it's full of specific examples. It's uh, you're not just preaching; you're walking us through case studies. There's thing there are things in there that um, that I think any business owner could could learn from. Uh, but but tell me, what do, do you do? You hear the same problems over and over again, or is it always something new? Um, I don't think there's ever identical. You know scenarios or situations because every you know every owner, CEO, president's unique, and their situations are very specific. Having said that, there are uh, typical problems that I see for the size of the organization. Um, you know the phase of it in the death cycle of a business that it happens to be in. One of the four phases, depending upon where they are, there's there's often problems that are symptomatic with that phase and the competitiveness of the marketplace. So there are things that are somewhat predictable because of those factors. But again, they're, they're going to be very, very unique because of the individual. Every business is are. different. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. What, what are the four phases you're referring to? Well, there's there's the growth, or I'm sorry, the startup phase, which is really chaotic. It's uh, I, I thought the word that, that we use at Aileron in that phase is frenetic. And um, there's a lot of us as entrepreneurs uh, that um, we love this 
every day is different, and we're spinning 15 plates, if you remember the old uh, <laughs> guys on Ed Sullivan's show that would do that. And, and Oh, and so, I do. I don't know how many of our listeners do, but I do. Yeah, and, and so just the whole idea that we, we love that chaos and it's, and it's uh, instant gratification. Um, and then we move from there to finally figuring out there's only a certain few things that we do that really matter if we're going to make money. And so now we, in the growth phase, we really start to institutionalize those and make those really uh, not only uh, predictable, but then we, we make them able to do more volume so we can actually grow the business and scale the business, as we like to say. So the second phase is the growth. The third phase is when the market now starts to get more competitive, our margins start to suffer. Um, and so we now have to be playing more not to lose instead of to win. And so that's the mature phase. And then the ultimate death uh, phase is when you're in the aging, and if you haven't reinvented yourself by now, you're pretty much doomed to go out of business. It's it's not a question of if so much as when. One of the things that happens as you progress through those four phases, obviously, is uh, you you find that certain things that worked for you initially may no longer work for you, and certain people who worked in their roles early on may no longer work in the company as yeah. it uh, evolves, yeah. and that. You know, I, I don't know if this is common, but in the uh, the course of yours that I sat in on, that was really a uh, an important topic. Uh, one owner after another, whether they realized it or not, in some way uh, brought up that issue. Is is that something you see all the time too? Yeah, it is, and it's you know, it's one of the uh, I guess in some respects, it's one of the the, the negative aspects of growth. Um, would be that you come to the realization that either you as the leader and owner uh, of the organization or some of the people that have been supporting you um, no longer have the capacity to keep up with the business. And so, um, you know, in some respects, it's probably easier to, to identify it in others than it is in ourselves. One of the one of the attributes I talk about that, you know, the really great leaders I know universally are highly self-aware. Um, and so they've they've somehow created a mechanism by which they get the feedback that they need to let them know about what they're good or bad at real time. And consequently, they're able to make adjustments or, or be aware of it and, and then deal with it. But, but uh, oftentimes I see it's, it's more typical than that the, the founder or the president uh, at this point in the phase of the business, you know, recognizes there are certain people that just can't keep up. And, you know, sometimes you can help them with growth and development where you can help them realize more of their potential. But sometimes the business literally outstrips the capacity of the individual. I'm uh, Lauren Feldman. I'm speaking with Ed Epley, who has seen it all when it comes to uh, running a business. If you've got a question about your business, we're at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. What prompted you to uh, to write the book, Ed? Um, <laughs> I was asked that question not too long ago, and I really started to think about it. And I think there's a couple of things. One is age. You know, you, just, <laughs> you, you get to the point, and tomorrow, literally, I'm going to be 65. And so there's this Happy point birthday. You reach it. Well, thank you. But there's there's this point at which you, you start to recognize, I better write some of this stuff down. It, you know, it could start to escape me. Because you're going to forget it? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I also think there's sometimes you just get tired of it. You know, it, you get bored with it. And so it's it's... So a part of that is just you 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 don't continue to to keep it forefront because you just said it uh, enough times that you don't want to say it again. But having having brought that up is one reason that that you know you reach a stage in your life where you want to do it. I literally have had a number of people ask me to do it. I've had clients or or uh, people at the course for presidents at Aileron 
said, you know, I want more of what you've shared with us. Where can I get it? And uh, I, I point to my head. And say, it's, it's all up here. And so I thought, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a need in the marketplace for at least a few people. And so I, I wrote this book, you know, with the intent of selling 12 copies. And we've, we've done that. So I feel pretty good <laughs> Congratulations. About it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Did you have a specific type of reader in mind? Who, who, mm-hmm. who did you envision this book really being for? I, I think there's a couple of scenarios. One, I wanted it to be for a president or a CEO or an owner uh, to be able to share with the people that they directly have underneath them, their direct reports, so they could form a, a, a common language for how they wanted to talk about managing and leading the, the business. So I wanted it to be a tool for which executive teams could look at it talk about it you know you may not agree with it and that's fine but it would at least provide a platform for the discussions and the second thing i wanted for was for a a person who has perhaps been in, in management or leadership for some time and they've got somebody that is moving into that role they also wanted to give them just a, a handbook that would say look you're now in this different role this is some this is some things you ought to consider um so it's it's meant to also be just something one person who cares about another person's, you know, experience as a manager and leader to hand to them and say, maybe, maybe there's some things in here that you'd want to know about or could help you. Well, having read the book, that all makes sense to me. Let's, let's take a, a phone call. Uh, Matthew in Florida, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi, hi, how are you? Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Our pleasure. What's on your mind, Matthew? Uh, I wanted to, uh, to ask a question on the subject that uh, you guys were talking about. I, I'm, a, um, I'm a founder of a, um, of a tech startup, this disruptor. Um, and we've launched uh, three phases so far over the first few years, and it's massive. It's um, it's it's one of the largest, um, you know, um, you know, contributors to the GDP. And there are really a few solutions um, with a market lock right now. It's an extremely unique uh, industry. Um, but I find myself working about 20 hours a day um, because the small team that I have, um, they're just not necessarily uh, built to. Um, to work at the level that we've gone to now, um, and uh, but the problem I have is that it's um, to get the right people on board with the right skill sets and uh, the ones that we can really create and just set up to follow um, is uh, just not financially doable until I get the big time investor. So how do you get the right people, the right people on the team? Because this is the most important part. Are, are you generating any revenue at this point, Matthew? I I am. It's uh, it's small. It's uh, let's say you know a couple hundred grand a year, but. On purpose, I'm doing more of um, market testing to make sure. I, I believe in the customer experience, and I want to make sure that the experience is right before we uh, before we mass commercialize. So, Ed, this is a, a fairly common problem. Uh, I'm sure you've uh, addressed this often. You, you have a startup here who wants to get the right people on board but doesn't have a lot of money to spend to do it. Any thoughts? Well, uh, there's a, a couple of uh, perspectives on this. One, um, and I spent a lot of time when organizational health being uh, affiliated with the table group, uh, Patrick Lencioni's organization. And the number one thing that we think causes people to want to give you their discretionary effort where they want to do more than is required is is when they are uh, bought into the purpose of your business. So, Matthew, I don't know if you if you have a have, have really thought through why are you doing this? What ultimately is the the end game? And is there some higher calling that's causing you to do this, or is it purely a financial play? But sometimes you can get a wonderful amount of talent supporting you, 
and not necessarily getting highly compensated or even compensated at all if they're bought into what your purpose is. And so if you think about a lot of the not-for-profits in this world, they get access to tremendous amounts of talent just because people want to be affiliated with what they're about and the purpose that they serve. But assuming that uh, you may not have gotten that far yet, I, I do think the other thing is is to try to rent talent. I also think that um, you know one of the things we talk about in the course for presidents uh, at Aileron is it's never too soon to have a board of advisors. And usually there are people in the community or there are people in the uh, in the business world who have been in the exact same position that you are, but maybe 10 or 20 years ago. And people helped them when there was really nothing in it for them. And so the way that they pay them back is by helping other organizations and individuals that could be in a situation like yours. So I do think that if you were to get a, a board of advisors, that you could get access to talent and expertise uh, at, at, at a very, very, very minimal cost, if any, who would, would help you maybe get to the next level. Ed, could you uh, elaborate a little bit on what you meant by renting talent? And, and, and uh, Ed, Ed, if you don't mind, I just want to say, I, I appreciate your feedback. Um, and that's exactly what I've done. I've, I have, I have, I have, I have one person that I trust. That's in my inner circle, pretty much, and um, and he's limited. But I've, I've tried to, um, I've tried to maximize his value. I've tried, you know, I've, I've sold him on the plan. He's bought into the system. Uh, but it's such a contra. I'm in the, I'm in the cigarette industry, but okay. we're introducing, we're introducing a product that um, eliminates smoke from forming, smoking from killing, and smokers from quitting. So it checks off every box. But it's such a controversial issue. Um, do you have any? Do you have any? You know. Um, you know, uh, where, 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 where to find these advisors? Because that's exactly what I need. I need an advisor to help me take the next, the next step. Um, okay, I, I will respond to that. Lauren, just to, can we put the uh, renting talent on just a, a, a side burner for just a second? Sure. Okay. Uh, in the, um, the, the, one of the things that Aileron's so good at doing is anticipating needs, and they're a not-for-profit. They're not trying to sell you anything, but recognizing that they're, are going to be people who have needs at different stage of the business uh, death or life cycle. They've already uh, trained um, a couple of hundred people to be effective board members or board of advisors members, and and then they've got them cataloged by uh, expertise or, or discipline. So if you were to uh, you know access their talent pool, if you will, and and you simply have to become a member by either you know paying a, an annual fee or going through one of their programs. Matthew, I, that would that would get you in the in the uh, line to be able to have access to some of that talent. So there are organizations. I'm sure there are probably others, maybe in your neck of the woods. But the Aileron's really done a, a great job of anticipating that and and making it very simple for people to find people who want to serve others like you. Um, it, it, uh, back to the renting of, of talent, Lauren. I I've found that there are certain individuals who. Um, have an entrepreneurial itch. They're engaged full time in whatever their discipline happens to be, but they would like to do some uh, moonlighting, if you will, some consulting work on the side. And they would, uh, if if you if you can identify the discipline, and then find people who are doing that role in a you know being paid full time to do it for another organization. There's a lot of people out there who would you know gladly take on some projects at not exceedingly high dollars just to be able to spend some time and maybe start to decide whether or not they want to do that full-time. Matthew, you also referred to uh, how you're financing the business, that you're anticipating uh, raising investment capital. Are, are you actively looking for it now? Yeah, so I, I've, um, I, I, I've, I've, made, I've made many mistakes like most people, and I love to make mistakes. I, like to, you know, I say fail fast, fail often, um, but never fail twice, right? Um, so I'm, I'm in the last step right now, putting together 
uh, the brand intro, um, and really the plan. It's, it's a complete plan of how we're going to introduce the concept of fat-free, not gay-free, smoke-free, not, you know, not, um, not, you know, not cigarette-free. Um, so we're about a month away from really, really, really actively speaking. I want to make sure that the number is not too high or too low um, that, that we need. Um, but I've, um, I've, uh, I've, you know, brought myself throughout this journey. It's, I have a, um, it's my passion. My passion is to, uh, is to change the world. I'm an MBA guy. And, um, and I set out on this mission and I wasn't really sure what I set out on, but, um, it's kind of taken me on a journey throughout. And, um, but it's, it's very difficult because, uh, it's such a controversial subject that you're all, you're almost a criminal before you're proven otherwise. And, um, that's, that's been my challenge is, is the team. I, I never would have. Well, how, how do you address that? How, how do you answer that? Um, I, I, I say it very simply that, um, if you ask, instead of saying because, if you ask why, you can understand the values on all sides. I believe in a concept called V to E, value to everyone. How can you, how can you make, how can you create a winning solution? It, it's only winning if everyone benefits. I'm not sure that really answers the question for somebody who thinks you're doing so, something. So, so we're, 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 what we're doing is we're introducing the lighter, and we're, and we're, and we're, and we're making it understandable by saying that if we lower the heat. We, 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 we remove the burning from occurring, the smoke from forming, the smoke from killing, and the smoker from quitting. So we're going through in a very sequential step. So we, we don't change the cigarette. We change the way we light the cigarette. We're the better way. And we're also using um, – we, we, have, we have different um, – we're making it extremely comfortable by using very, um, very similar language to the smokers. Click your nick instead of click it, your dick and so forth. Um, but it's a comfortable experience. Um, that's affordable, um, you know, for smokers, um, and it's um, sustainable for society, long term. Matthew, it, it's, I was just going to say, it, it sounds intriguing, and it does sound like you're being uh, uh, somewhat purpose driven. I think, Lauren, your question is a valid one about, you know, what whether or not it's it's going to be uh, powerful enough for enough people to, to to warrant being a legitimate, you know, sustainable business. But I, I it certainly sounds like you have passion for it. Matthew. I, think, I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And the, and the only reason why it's, it's a no-brainer is because the market's locked, and um, and it's the one industry where the pricing is not controlled by the manufacturer. It's actually controlled by a by by an outside source. So if you can't lower the price and you can't innovate the product, then there's no way you can recover. Um, and that's where the that's where these tobacco companies are at right now. Um, and that's where um, the the market's out of pull. So. Um, it, it's extremely interesting. I just need somebody that's been there before because it's bigger, a bigger animal than, uh, than than I might necessarily be ready to tackle on my own. But I appreciate your help, Matthew. Thank you very much for your phone call. Um, I do think you need to, uh, to to work on your pitch a little bit. I think you need a good, quick, clear answer to the to the issues that you're obviously very well aware of the controversy involved. But you need to be able to explain that quickly and cleanly to investors. Uh, to advisors and to potential employees, uh, especially Ed, don't you think if, he, if he's looking for people who are willing to work a little bit less because they're on a mission? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got a simplicity is uh, is crucial. I agree with you, Lauren. Um, that uh, the, the issue though of how you know what comes first? It's, it's such a uh, chicken or the egg kind of thing. You know, having the the money to to spend to invest on something, um, to to build it the way you want to build it. It's it's you know I just hear it over and over again. I don't think there are any uh, any easy answers, but th there there are 
technologies these days that that didn't used to exist, uh, including crowdfunding. You know, opportunities mm-hmm. to to raise money to to prove. You know, one of the great things about crowdfunding is it, it doesn't just bring in money; it it kind of tests the market. Uh, are you seeing people make more use of these uh, these technologies today, uh, social media, that that can help somebody in the position that that Matthew's in? Yeah, I, there's certainly more uh, channels to capital than there ever has been. You know, it used to be it was bank financing, um, uh, private or public equity were pretty much the the, the the mechanisms that there was available to somebody uh, other than your own, you know, your own network. And today there are a number of uh, vehicles to access that capital. Uh, one thing I would say, Lauren, is there's never been more capital ready to be invested in businesses than there is today. There's, there's, I, I, I can't tell you how many different organizations are literally uh, shopping to find places where they want to invest their money. So if, if you, in a, a person like Matthew's situation, if you can show a business case, you know, that there's a demand for the, for the product or service that you have and that you have a, a business model that will address that and is, is, that, that makes sense, then there are going to be any number of people who want to, want to invest in your company. Um, or invest in you. I, I think it comes back to whether or not you've demonstrated that you're mentally, uh, you know, ahead of the game to the point where they'd feel like it was a safe investment or a wise investment to, to spend some of their money with you. Let's take another phone call. Alan in Wisconsin, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi. Yeah, how you doing this afternoon? We're doing great. What's on your mind, Alan? So I have a startup called Me. Um just got our uh, our AWS account set up. Um, we've been doing a whole bunch of stuff, right? We're very active. It's just myself and my business partner. He's uh, serving as the chief technical officer. However, we haven't been able to come up with any funding. We haven't been able to get any funding at all. And I'm wondering, like, I just heard you mention that, you know, if, if we can prove that we have a business concept that, that is actionable and, uh, you know, and we have those things. Um, we're actually, like... We were talking, and I know that there are companies that have been funded that are not as far along as we are, and I'm just wondering why I'm having this roadblock. What exactly do you do? So, Me is a, a gifting uh, exchange service. Um, we are similar to, like, an Amazon gifting service, except we work for exotic entertainers. <laughs> I got some friends who want to know about your business. <laughs> and I can totally explain it just uh, real briefly here. Um, the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, these exotic entertainers, number one, nobody buys seven-inch stilettos to walk around in. Those are, those are for dancers, and they're a $125 shoe. So the product cost that you see there is really high versus the cost to produce those shoes, these objects. Um, and it's getting lost in the middle. By by producing and then direct sourcing, we're able to get those things to the dancers at a much lower cost. Well, these young ladies, I, I know I used to be a, a DJ. They um they often have their clients buy them these gifts. It's a huge problem for the club because you know uh, the mere implication of impropriety is enough to get their business shut down. It's dangerous for the gentlemen, uh, you know, because. Well, it's also dangerous for the dancer. She could end up in the gentleman's basement. So, 
Ed, Ed I have to say, Ed, you're, you're attracting some interesting calls today. Is, is there a side to your uh, consulting business that I'm not aware of? Well, I, I was just getting ready to say, Alan, you've, you've actually stumped me. You've, you've now presented an opportunity in a situation that I've never heard of before. So I'm, I'm, I'm first of all, I want to congratulate you. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm very impressed with that. I, I do think in, in, if, we, if we forget right now the industry and so forth, I think there's a couple of uh, different things. Essentially, uh, you, you are providing a channel to a set of customers that would otherwise be difficult for the people who make the products uh, to be able to reach their customers, if, if, if I hear you correctly. So you're, what you're making it easy is for somebody who makes the seven-inch stilettos to be able to get them in the hands of the people who want them, correct? That's correct, but we're also um, – so the entertainers are referred to as uh, retail sales associates, and they're also actually paid a commission. So they <laughs> – they receive, like, you know, she says to her client, I'd like you to purchase this gift. Or I'd like, I want these shoes. He says, okay. Well, she has the ability to essentially retail those shoes and, and uh, create the markup there. We split that um, for every dollar that she makes, generates in company profit, she receives a dollar and ten cents. All right. But Ed, so, to your uh, point, it's a it's a platform. It, it could be yeah. Etsy. Uh, they're yeah. they're trying to sell a product. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I I really think there is. I think there's two plays that you got for this. Number one, I think uh, you, you, the, one of the reasons you're having trouble attracting capital is certain people are going. It's interesting, but I don't want to be I don't want to be around it. I'm afraid to. I'm afraid if if people knew I was doing this, that it would it would you know not not necessarily reflect well on on me or my business. So I think that's one issue that you've got to understand. That's um, uh, a collateral uh, a thing that goes with the, the industry that you happen to be part of. I think the second thing to think about here is that you could go multi-level marketing. You could actually do something like Amway. And so you, you get people to want to participate with you in both the risk and the profit associated with what you're doing. And so that would be one way to do it. And then the, the other alternative I, I was thinking of that there's, there's certain players who make products that are already going to the marketplace who might want to partner with you as the platform to be able to reach people they otherwise wouldn't reach. That's, that's kind of where my, my thinking would be, Lauren. And, and that could also solve his funding problem, right? Yeah, because if exactly. he provides uh, a, a channel for somebody who's having trouble reaching people, they might want to do what it takes to, to make that channel come to life. Well, and I'm also thinking, Alan, if you're willing to, to, to give up a, a high percentage of the profits, but, you know, be like MasterCard or Visa and just, you know, you get 50 cents out of every transaction. But the goal is to do a lot of transactions. Ed, could I take you back to the multi-level marketing suggestion? That That's kind of considered something of a, um, a dirty word. A lot of people assume that it's, you know, a pyramid scheme. It's, right. you know, borderline fraud. Uh, is there a legitimate way to do multi-level marketing? Oh yeah, I, I think there are. I mean, you know, there there certainly are are people in every kind of business, whether it's, you know, I don't care whether it's multi level marketing or publicly traded companies. Maybe we maybe we should think, explain what that is exactly. Can you tell us what multi level marketing is? I'll I'll give you my interpretation of it. It's probably not a very. You know, we need Celeste on here because she would <laughs> she'd, have, she'd have the absolute best answer. But having said that, it's it's where you um, uh, essentially make available to individuals products at a discounted rate from the, the sales price, the, the list price, if you will, to the public. Um, they buy that, and then they in turn sell it either to the 
users of the product or to other people at something off of the discount. So it's it's essentially you get other people to associate uh, in your supply chain to your customers by taking some of the risk and buying some of the inventory. And so rather than doing it through traditional, ret- uh, I'm sorry, wholesalers or distributors, you're doing it with independents, uh, individuals rather than formal companies. And the objection to it is that it resembles a pyramid scheme at its worst uh, because yeah. the people at the top make money and the people at the bottom get promises, but those promises aren't always realized. Fair, uh, very fair. In a lot of cases, that will happen. I think that um, the organizations that have, have been sustainable and, and been successful long term have uh, have learned, you know, you just have to make sure people are aware of the, on the on the front end that you kind of get out of the business what you're willing to put into it. You know, if you're if you're expecting something for nothing, that isn't gonna you're not you're you're gonna end up in a pyramid scheme. If on the other hand you're willing to work hard and treat it like a business, there's a good chance that you can make a good living for yourself and the people that are part of your network, if you will. What do you think, Alan? Any of this helpful? Yeah, you know, and it absolutely is. The multi-level marketing uh, aspect is not something I considered before. Does it matter at all that we have we have an incorporation uh, of a cryptocurrency um, in, in our future plan? I think it's wise. <laughs> because, again, there's now, now you have anonymity for people doing the transactions. So I think, you know, you're, you're – you're at least uh, providing some some way for people to not necessarily be known if they're doing transactions. Oh no, that's that, that, that's the actual the entire point um, yeah. is to function as a, a much more secure environment for you know messaging and and com- not even messaging. I don't know. We haven't gotten to that development right. stage, but I will say this: you know, um, Ethereum provides a, a fantastic platform with the smart contracts to be able to do the kinds of things that we're looking to do in a decentralized way. Well, well, Alan, you certainly are talking about an interesting company, and you're finding a lot of ways to make it as interesting as possible, including uh, cryptocurrency. When you when you do get ready to do that messaging, uh, one advantage you'll have is I'm sure you'll find journalists who will be willing to talk to you about <laughs> <laughs> what you're trying to do. Thank you so much for your call, and, uh, and best of luck with it. Uh, we need to take a break. Um, we'll be right back with more from Ed Epley and your calls. Uh, our producer, Michelle, is standing by right now. So you, if you have a question about your business, call us at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, and this is Business Radio powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 111. You're listening to Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Here again is Lauren Feldman. Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Ed Epley, uh, along with his work at Aileron. Ed is also a principal consultant for The Table Group, a Patrick Lencioni company, and he operates his own firm, The Epley Group. He's also just published a book, Let's Be Clear, that is full of case study examples any business owner can learn from. Ed, I got to say, you you jumped on the uh, cryptocurrency thing pretty quickly there, and uh, that makes me curious. Do you have experience with business owners who've decided to accept payment in uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other cryptocurrency? Uh, I I have experience with one client who is trying to decide if they are going to accept it, um, and and I I can't say their name, but they they. Uh, they're having to make a decision about it. I, I don't think the question is if it's only when and 
and how will they do it? I think they're 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 absolutely certain that they're going to need to be able to provide transactions. Um, so it's, it's do you have a sense more, of the issues? What they're uh, what they're balancing? What what are the pluses and minuses for them? Well, the, the, the whole idea yet that uh, the, uh, the whole idea that it's not yet clear that it's truly a currency as much as it is an investment, and and so the the whole idea of you know are you going to hold it if you do a transaction a transaction in Bitcoin you actually hold it or do you um, immediately uh, uh, offload that Bitcoin to somebody who converts it into currency? So that's the real issue: is what kind of exposure do you want to have? And so there, it sounds to, if I understand correctly, and and in spending time with them, there are now these uh, businesses that do exist, who are making a living out of being a repository for a particular period of time for Bitcoin uh, conversions. So that if somebody wants to do the transaction but doesn't want to stay, you know, keep the uh, currency in a uh, the Bitcoin currency format and want to turn it to traditional currency, then then they'll do that exchange, just like you know, like in the airport. Uh, somebody that exchanges one kind of currency for another. So that if somebody wants to do it just for the payment, that make payment easier uh, in some respect, they can do that and not become a a speculator in a particular currency. Yeah. Uh, Right now, I think right now that's still the issue for most, uh, if you will, retailers. It's all about, you know, is this truly a currency? And right now, I think most of the organizations feel like it's still not yet a true currency. And, and that's something that uh, you're probably not going to see a lot of for a while from the businesses that, that you work with. Yeah, I, you know, uh, a while is a relative term, but I, <laughs> I don't think in the next 12 months we're going to see a, a dramatic shift, no. Interesting. Um, t- tell me, uh, is there a favorite example you have uh, from your book, uh, Let's Be Clear? Uh, I, I hate to put you on the spot, uh, but I warned you I might do this. Um is there a representative example that you walk through there that you think our uh, our listeners might be able to to relate to? Uh, well, uh, there, actually, there's a couple of things I, I was thinking during the break of, of a couple of things that even your original questions warranted, and, and I'll I'll go down that path first. Please. One, when we were talking about the uh, the, the state at which the you know the people that, and and not just the people but the systems and processes that get you to a certain stage of growth and success no longer are the right ones to get you to the next stage. And and then one of the things that oftentimes we end up in startup phases and early growth phases is having somebody on our team and, and pretty integral to the organization is what we call a destructive hero. They produce tremendous results, but they do it in a way that's really not consistent with what we what, what we truly value either as an individual or as an organization. But we're, we're somewhat addicted to them because of the amount of results they produce for the organization, and they literally do help us get to the point where we are. Some people but, refer to the destructive hero as a brilliant jerk. Yes. Uh, well, jerk is not usually the nomenclature, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, there comes a point in time where um, those people are going to have to go if the organization is going to get to the next level. And so there's a there's there's some examples in the book that make make reference to this, but I I just I wanted to come back to that because um, there's I have almost universally heard from business owners, executives, CEOs of publicly traded companies, I can't get rid of this person now because they're too important to the business, and yet when that person ultimately leaves, the only thing I hear from 
the boss, the owner, the CEO, the president is, I waited way too long. I should have never waited as long. I should not have been held hostage by that individual as long as I was held hostage. So if there's anybody listening out there that feels like they are being held hostage by somebody, whatever you think the pain is of getting rid of this person is probably not as great as the damages that, that they're doing to your credibility and to the organization's future success every day that you tolerate them. So I just I wanted to come back to That's that. That's a great so that, point. I, I – I'm sure you've seen that over and over again. Wow. Have you have you figured out a way to 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 drive that home and convince somebody to go ahead and and make the move, um, even though they're they're fighting it? Um, I think there's a couple of thoughts that you got to keep in mind. One is if the person handed you their resignation and you would gladly accept it, that should tell you volumes. That should absolutely if you wouldn't stop them. And, and they came and said they were leaving, and you wouldn't stop them. That tells you one thing in and of itself. And in most cases, destructive heroes would leave you tomorrow if they had an option. They're not going to be as loyal to you as you think they would be um, if you're harboring any belief that that's the case. And then the other piece of this is what you're going to hear from other people when that person's gone will almost universally be thank you. Um, I wondered when you were going to do something, <laughs> and it's about time. And every one of those is not an indictment about the individual who's left. It's an indictment about us as the leader or the boss who's been failing to act and the, and the doubts it creates in, in the minds of the good people um, about that. And, and then the last thing is the person who's most likely to leave because of that, what you call it? What was your, your, your language? <laughs> uh, the brilliant jerk. Yeah. It, it, what you what you know. The person who's most at risk to leave is a really good person that you don't want to leave because they don't want to they don't want to be next to that person. So I, I really think you got to keep in mind the damage that is being done every day when that goes on. So that's that's I would I would really suggest that, that people that have the, these people on board really they really need to take much quicker action. And many do have that problem. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Ed Epley. If you've got a question about your business, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Oh, along those lines, Ed, I, I've told you this before. I've, I've always remembered the session that I sat in uh, on your of yours uh, at Aileron, where uh, one of the things you did was ask the owners in the room to think about their employees and think about whether or not, given the opportunity, they would hire them again. And um, there was one husband and wife team there, I'll, I'll always remember. You asked him directly. Uh, he was talking about his employees, and you asked him, uh, would you hire them again? And he just sighed deeply <laughs> and thought and thought and thought. And finally, his wife <laughs> spoke up and said, oh, you wouldn't hire them, uh, which I thought was a, a really poignant moment and, and, and a great lesson for, for a great way to think about this for business owners, because it's not just the, the destructive hero or the brilliant jerk. It's, it's, you know, there are other reasons why someone might not be right for your team. Yeah. And I, I think if you remember, uh, Lauren, in that situation, she wasn't the only one. Everybody else in the room, more or less, was going what the heck are you waiting for? So, <laughs> uh, I, I think that the other thing is it's so much easier for uh, those of us who are who are not in the situation to see the problem. And so one of the advantages I have is I don't have to live with any advice I give to people. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's, there is it's something nice about that, isn't there? Yeah. And so I, I do 
under, understand that it's many times easier for me to say you should do it when, in fact, I don't have to do it. But, but at the same time, in most cases, when you think about uh, uh, a situation like that, your instinct is probably telling you the thing you need to do, but you're being held hostage by fears of the unknown. And that's uh, now you're being a victim, you know, and that's that's not a good way to lead an organization. Um, you know, Let me stop thinking, you there. Ed. We, let's uh, let's take a phone call here. Uh, yeah, Sherry in Virginia. Welcome to Mind Your Business. Yes. Hello. Hello, um, Sherry. Hi. I have a micro business. I have a, a retail jewelry store. And my question is, what do you do when your client, friend, employees on social media and or vice versa? (laughs) Um, Then they're like having their own little side relationship and your employees may or may not be with you forever. So then where does that leave you with your clients? Are you your concern is that their your employees are developing a relationship with your customers that may be to your employees' benefit and not necessarily to yours? Yes. Uh, Ed, that's something that I uh, I hadn't thought about the social media aspect of that. It it is a concern for lots of business, uh, irrespective of social media. But maybe social media makes it uh, takes it to another level. Yeah, I I I think it's. Uh... It's not a new problem, but I think the vehicles for having the relationship are different, right? And, and so social media does make that possible, Sherry, in a way that maybe it didn't 10 or 20 years ago. Um, I think uh, one thing to keep in mind is a lot of organizations are doing a lot of different things to make sure that their customer uh, or their prospective customer has inter- interaction with more than one person. Um, so uh, that, that – regardless of what kind of business or the size of the business, what they're trying to do is make sure that if, if you're, if you're a prospective customer or a customer of ours, and, and if I'm the person who initiates that contact with you, then the, the organization is going to find a way to make sure Lauren has contact with you and two or three other people so that you start to see the organization as responsible for your relationship rather than any one individual. And that, that stickiness is, is something that helps prevent the whole idea that that you are uh, aligning with just an individual and seeing that individual as the custom, the company rather than the the whole system or process. I think the other thing is when you bring people on board to your business, um, you want to make sure that they're bought into the purpose, you know, the, the the higher calling about why are we doing this, and and that they're they're trying to support that and you and not viewing clients as their own property or their own you know asset is that helpful sherry it is helpful um i had a situation recently where i'd hired a younger uh employee and next thing i knew she had started her own page that said follow follow with her first name adventure with gems and jewelry and so she had started her own page, and I was like, no, 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 no. You're not. <laughs> That's a direct conflict of interest. I said, if you're going to build anyone's brand, it's going to be my business while you're employed here. So you have to shut that down. But, but, you, but you allowed her to uh, keep her job. I did. I did. Because she's a brand-new employee, and she's 
I think she's too young to have known better about what she was doing. She just Sherry, she was, yeah. yeah. Finish your thought. Finish your thought, dear. Uh, well, I, I think she was just too young to think it through because the younger uh, generation, they, they're just all about, um, you know, having a presence online, and they think it's cute and fun and et cetera, but they don't think about the long-term potential damage. Let's say she has a huge following and then leaves and starts her own business or right. goes to a competitor, so she's going to take all those people with her. Well, I think a, another thing to keep in mind here, because uh, I think you're, I think you're being astute in this situation of probably just an air of of, of uh, maturity. Um, but but another way to think about this is, you know, you're always going to have the potential that people will leave you, and it's not a question of if; it's only a matter of when and why would they leave you. So, if uh, one would think to do is maybe you make it possible for them to have a, a page within your site where people can connect with them, but it's it's all within your uh, social media uh, platform, so that's one way to, to make that happen. But it, but it, but she's now still offering that connectivity to to those people, but through your through your platform. That's one thing to keep in mind. And the second is maybe maybe that one of the things that could help people and is you just embrace the premise that they are going to be leaving, and that you're okay with that. And I know some organizations say, look, we're going to train you and prepare you. To be able to go off and, and be your own business if you want, and and so if you embrace that, um, why do those businesses do that, uh, Ed? What 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 do they see as the advantage in it for them? Because they know it's it's inevitable that regardless, there there are going to be people who want to have their own business, and so we're going to pro- provide a mechanism, if you will, to, for you to figure out. I mean, if you think about the whole premise of franchising, that's nothing. It's it's the same thing. It's just they what they do is they manage it by saying, but if you're going to do this, you're going to go do it in this geographic area that doesn't directly affect or or if you will steal from from the the business we have in a, in this particular geographic area. Interesting. Form of uh, franchising, yeah. Um. You know, the, the situation that Sherry describes isn't any different from just having uh, a, a talented salesperson who develops, right. uh, a, a, you know, a loyal following and could pick up and take that to a competitor at any time. Um, is there, has anybody figure out, figured out a way to deal with that? Well, the, the non-compete, you know, contracts or, or uh, personal services agreements that, that people try to employ are all intended to, to stymie that, but... Uh, you know, to varying degrees, those have limited success in, in stopping people. If somebody wants to leave and go start their own business to compete with you, it's going to happen. It's, it's just they may have to wait a year or two years to do it, but it doesn't, it's not going to stop them if that's really what they want to do. Again, if they're, if they're lo- are they loyal to you or are they loyal to themselves? If you give them reason to be loyal to you, Sherry, I think uh, you can minimize the damage. Sherry, the other aspect of this is uh, there can be a real advantage to having your employees interact with your customers through social media. I mean, that's part of engaging uh, customers yep. and tying them to the business uh, and, and not something that you would want to uh, want to lose. Is, is that part of your concern in this? Um, I, I like the, the thought of having them do it within the framework of our current social media, but I have to say I'm not real comfortable with them doing it on the side and separate from my business. That makes sense. Make the path the least resistance for them to do it on your platform. Make it just so simple that it would be silly for them to try to do it on their own. Okay. 
Sherry, thank you for your phone call. Best of luck. Uh, feel free to check back in and let us know uh, how it goes. Uh, if you have a question about your business, uh, we're at one eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Ed, I interrupted you before. Was was there another thought that you uh, were hoping to express? I, I was just uh, actually. There's two thoughts I want to express. One. Um, while we have time, I just want to thank you for what you do for all the entrepreneurs. Um, all right, next thought. Yeah, I, I know you hate being thanked and in and, and the limelight at all, but but you'd never get the appreciation that you deserve for what you do to make a um, make a, a place for people to be able to talk and share and learn. So thank you for doing that. Well, that's very um, kind of you. Thank you. All right. Uh, the, the other thing I want to talk about that's near and dear to my heart that I see more and more of in the work I do in organizational health is the right kind of meetings. Um, every organization has challenges with having the right kind of meeting and the right frequency with the right people in attendance. And there's so many times where I see problems that come up that really are a symptom of a, a lack of understanding of the kinds of meetings that people should be having or the kind of conduct of behavior in the meetings. And so if, if there's one other thing that I would really uh, suggest to most uh, business owners and startups is you really need to get your head around um, if you're gonna if you're gonna get a group of people together you better have uh, some understanding of what does a good meeting look like what should it produce as an outcome and I need to help people learn how to behave in those meetings so that we more likely then get the outcome that we want from the meeting. And, and so I really am, am becoming more and more convinced that... Is, is there um, a that, bad behavior that you have in mind? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the whole premise in, in one of the Pat's books that he speaks about um, is the, the whole idea of death by meeting and the, and the, the idea that we have uh, the, this continuum of artificial harmony at one end where people are afraid to talk about the real issues, and at the other end we have this destructive conflict where people's whole agenda at this point is to win at the expense of somebody else's loss. And so um, the behavior that I'm really thinking about is, is um, do are people in that meeting to report out for others to hear what they're doing, or are we here to solve a problem? And usually what happens is you mix those two things together, and that's why people tune out and say the meeting was a waste, because Two people yeah. are there trying to solve a problem, and everybody else is yeah. trying to share information with one another. And so you have meetings that are two different kinds of meetings that are taking place at the same time. It's no wonder that yeah. people think it was a waste of time. I've been there. Let, let, let's see if we can squeeze in another phone call in the uh, limited sure. time we have left. Charlie in Florida, welcome to Mind Your Business. Uh, hello. Uh, listen to Ed many times on your show, Lauren, and I've communicated with you. Uh, by in-mail on LinkedIn. Uh, I am the founder of Inside Out Council in Florida. Excellent. Uh, we are nation, we're nationwide. Um, I wanted to comment on the non-compete uh, uh, remarks that Ed made. I agree with him to an extent that if an employee wants to leave and compete with you, they ultimately can. But even just including some language in an offer letter that restricts that ability will dissuade many potential employees who, are, who might otherwise be prone to leave to stay and not do that it can be very simple language can you give it what, what kind of language do you have in mind uh, it's very simple language it just basically says uh you know we're making you this offer of employment and we are restricting your ability for a period of one year the the statute in florida is probably the toughest statute in the country uh enforcing non-competes 
but there's a window of time, six months to two years, that is routinely enforced by the courts, at least in Florida. Now, of course, many of the courts in other states hate the Florida non-compete statute, New York in particular. Uh, but the language really is very simple. You just kind of express that uh, you're offering this employment to them uh, and, and for a period of one year following the end of their employment with your company, they're not to go to work for, for example, uh, clients of yours. Or uh, you also have to limit it uh, geographically. But in, in the case of this particular member that we work with, um, they, they limit it to specifically their clients. And the courts have found that the more limited the language in these non-competes, yeah. The, yeah. the more apt they are to enforce them. Very quickly, Charlie, Ed, what do you think? Charlie, is it, uh, are you saying it's more non-compete or non-solicit? Uh, both. Both. Okay. All right. And, and, and I, I don't disagree with anything Charlie's saying, and I'm not suggesting that if, if that's your approach that it's not a good one to take. But I'm also of the, of the opinion that if you're, if you're running a purpose-driven organization that's, uh, that, you're, that you're only allowing people to come on board who bought into what you're doing and why you're doing it, um, then you're less likely to, to need to be as concerned about somebody leaving you and competing with you um, then if, you know, it, in some cases, you're, you're only trying to run the business to make money. Where- Ed, I got to stop you there. That's a, that's sure, a great ahead. point. Really interesting. Charlie, thank you for your phone call. Thanks for following up and give us a little more information on that point. Ed, thank you so much for joining us again. If you want to keep up with Ed, you can go to thetablegroup.com or follow him on Twitter at Ed underscore Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y. Or check out his book, Let's Be Clear. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter, at L. Feldman. We're done today, but we're here every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to Mind Your Business on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 